0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. Trinity is an international and multigenerational community um, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing in faith, obedience, and joy as we go out to advance God's kingdom. So let's celebrate who we are in God's story as we hear God's word this morning. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. With bows in hand, join in the feastal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are our God and we give you thanks. You are our God and we exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Today, Christians all over the world celebrate Palm Sunday. They remember the crowds who went before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, as they proclaimed their hope that their king and savior had come, and shouted, Hosanna, save us now. Hear the shouts of acclamation, as they would have sounded spoken in Spanish. Y la gente que iba delante y la que iba detrás diciendo... Hosanna al hijo de David, bendito el que viene en el nombre del Señor, Hosanna en las alturas. Cuando entró él en Jerusalén, toda la ciudad se conmovió, diciendo, ¿Quién es este? Y la gente decía, Este es Jesús, el profeta de Nazaret
1: de Galilea.
0: It was the hope of those who celebrated that this indeed was the promised one. Come to fulfill the words of the prophets. Listen to the words of Zechariah as they would be spoken in Hebrew. We know now that Jesus indeed was a promised one and that he would make us whole and set us free. He Jesus' own words announcing that he was the fulfillment of all that had been promised as they would be spoken in french l'esprit du seigneur est sur moi parce qu'il m'a oint pour guérir ceux dont le cœur brisé pour annoncer la bonne nouvelle aux pauvres il m'a envoyé pour proclamer aux captifs la délivrance et aux aveugles le recouvrement de la vue pour envoyer libre les opprimés l'esprit du seigneur l'éternel est sur moi car l'éternel m'a donné l'onction Il m'a envoyé pour porter de bonnes nouvelles à ceux qui sont humiliés, pour penser ceux qui ont le cœur brisé, pour proclamer aux captifs leur libération et aux prisonniers leur élargissement. We know that within one week of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus would die on a cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. In churches where Farsi is spoken, we are reminded in words from the Book of Corinthians that Jesus died.
1: For our sins. من مهمترین حقایق انجیل را همانطور که دیگران به من رساندند به شما اعلام کردم. یعنی این حقایق را که مسیح طبق نوشته کتاب آسمانی جان خود را در راه آمرزش گناهان ما فدا کرد و مرد در قبر گذاشته شد و روز سوم زنده کردید و از قبر بیرون آمد همانطور که انبی پیشگویی کرده بودند.
0: We know also that 3 days later after his crucifixion he would come alive to mark his triumph over death so that we would be able to experience new life eternal life here in Slovak Jesus own words proclaiming that he is our resurrection and life
1: je Ježiš, ja som a život kto verí mňa aj zomre, bude nik nie na veky, kto žije a verí mňa Veríš tomu? Podal mu, áno, pane, ja som uverila, že Ty si Kristus, Božej syn, ktorý mal prísť na svet. Božej nani Boh a Otec, náša Pana Ježíša Krista, ktorý nás podľa svojho veľkého milostredenstva skřesením Ježíša Krista zmrtvý znovu zrodil pre živú nádej.
0: Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, praise the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest word of the Lord.
1: For the past ten weeks, we have been digging into the book of Romans But today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, what I would like to do is is try to tell the story of Jesus. You know, interestingly, where the other religions of the world focus on the life of their leader, Christianity focuses on the death. In fact, um, when you read all of the gospel literature, you will see that about a third of it is concentrated on the last two weeks of Jesus's life. Um, The the gospel literature is captivated by the death of Jesus. It's a story that's familiar and maybe too familiar, maybe so familiar that it's lost its impact. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to hopefully try to, to renew our appreciation of who Jesus is and and what he went through to secure the salvation for us that we've been talking about in the book of Romans. Now, this morning is really the first part of a three-part message. Part two will be Friday night at the Tenebrae service, and, and the climax of the story will be uh, next Sunday when we come to celebrate the resurrection in the empty tomb. So, this is kind of this is part one, all right now, to appreciate the the passion of Jesus, we have to first understand the hatred that the Jewish leadership had toward him. When you read the Gospels, you will see eight times that there were attempts made on his life. all eight times um, were motivated by either personal or spiritual reasons, and they were all unsuccessful because, in Jesus' words, his time had not yet come. But but then we come to this particular event um, that happened about two weeks before his death that sparked such a, a fervor among the religious leaders that they said, unless we take this guy out, the the Romans are going to rise up and they're going to take away our temple and we're going to lose our national identity. And this spark that got um, the fire started, if you will, is in John chapter 11, and you can read the story sometime. I'm just going to kind of give you the highlights today. But... There was this little town called Bethany, about three miles outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus had some good friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Lazarus got really sick, and so Martha sent word to Jesus for Jesus to come because she wanted Jesus to heal her brother. Well, Jesus didn't come. In fact, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then word came to Jesus that that Lazarus had indeed died, and Jesus didn't need to come at all because it didn't matter anymore. Well, according to the the, um, thought of the day, the spirit hovered over the body for three days. So Jesus waited four. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Lazarus was really dead. Jesus showed up and he had a conversation with Martha and Mary and shed a few tears with them. And then he went up to the tomb and he said, roll the stone away, open it up. Well, Mary said, don't do that. He's been in there four days. There's going to be a stench in there. Or as the Greek says, he stanketh. It was you know, Martha said, don't open it. Jesus said, roll the stone away. And then he cried out. He said, Lazarus, come out. If he hadn't said the name, everybody would have come out of the tombs. Um, Amen. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out, wrapped in bandages, and Jesus said, get that stuff off of him and give him something to eat. Now, after that miracle, so many people believed in Jesus that the Jewish leadership got together. And it says in verse 47, it says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of the Jews, said, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And here it is. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place, meaning the temple, and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas said, either this man dies or we all die. He didn't know how right he was. So it says in verse 53, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. As you can imagine, This was easier said than done. It's really difficult to assassinate the most popular public figure of the day. You see, people flocked around Jesus like like a rock star. And they simply couldn't find a time when he was alone in order to get to him. And these leaders were afraid of the crowds. What they needed was someone on the inside, someone who would be able to give them some inside information to tell them where Jesus was going to be at a certain time, when he was alone, where they could get to him. And Satan raised one up. He was the one whose name means praise of God. He was the only educated one of the disciples. He was the treasurer of the disciples. Everybody trusted him. But he was following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. He was following him for the potential political uh, clout and monetary gain that Messiah would bring. He wasn't following Jesus because he loved him. He had perfected the art of religious impersonation. And even though everyone else trusted him, Jesus knew his, his heart. His name was Judas. Judas. John chapter twelve tells us of um, an event that happened a week before um, Palm Sunday, that or before Passover, where Jesus and Judas had had a clash. They're, they were throwing there was a dinner party thrown in Jesus' honor. And um, Lazarus was in attendance there. And by the way, Lazarus was always a hit at any party he went to after the resurrection. Um, so they're throwing this party and and Mary was there, Lazarus's sister. And, and Mary had this very expensive alabaster jar of perfume, which she broke and anointed Jesus's feet with. Well, Judas was all up in arms about that, and he said, Look, we we could have sold that for 300 denarii, which was about a year's wage. You see, Judas, being the treasurer, was skimming off the top. He didn't really care about the poor. What he cared about was himself, and this was an opportunity lost for him. And so Jesus rebuked Judas. Well, rebuke is a hard thing for an arrogant man to take. And so John 12 tells us from that day forward, Judas began to plot how to kill Jesus. Well, a week passed, and on Palm Sunday, the day we're celebrating today, The city of Jerusalem was teeming with people who had come in from Passover. Um, On that day, throngs of people celebrated Jesus' entry into the city by laying their cloaks down. And as we've done this morning, by, by waving their palms and shouting hosannas, one of the Pharisees said, look, the whole world goes out to this guy. Another of the Pharisees pulled Jesus aside and said, you need to tell your people to stop praising you. Remember what Jesus said? If they stop, the stones will praise me. So Jesus rode into the city. He went to the temple and he saw what was happening there, that they were selling these Passover lambs at exorbitant prices to all these pilgrims who had come in. Mark tells us that it was already late in the day, and so he didn't do anything about it that day, but he uh, traveled the three miles out to Bethany to spend the night. Uh, The next day, Monday morning, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that he, he then went into the temple, and for the second time in his ministry, he drove out these money changers, Mark Matthew 21 tells us that he turned over the tables, he turned loose the doves, and he said, My father's house is a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves, and I want you out of here. After that, it says that the blind and the lame came to him and he healed him and and he healed them. The Gospel of John says that so many came to him that the Pharisees were afraid to lay hold of him because of the crowds. See, Greeks had come into the city and they wanted to see Jesus. Luke says that the children mobbed him and worshipped him. There may have been as many as 100,000 people who packed out the temple area just to hear Jesus teach. And John tells us that after one message, God spoke from heaven. How's that for an amen? (laughs) I can't even get one out of you. (laughs) But the people didn't know if it was, you know, God or an angel or thunder. Well, that was Monday. Monday. On Tuesday, he returned to the temple where he was questioned by the religious leaders. Now, these guys had, had interacted with Jesus before, and they were appalled by the facts that Jesus referred to God as his father, that he, um, that he had seemingly no regard for the Sabbath, that he unilaterally forgave sin. And so these theological aristocrats decided that they were going to try to trap Jesus in one of the finer points of the law. Now, there's a problem when you try to trap Jesus in one of the finer points of the law. You see, you don't try to trap the one who established the law. Not only could they not trap him, but Jesus gave them a scathing rebuke. In Matthew 23, he said things like, you gentlemen, clean the outside of your cup while the inside is full of wretchedness. He said, you are like a tomb. On the outside, you are whitewashed. On the inside, you are full of corruption. He said, you tithe little bits of uh, of dill and mint and cumin. But you neglect justice and the weightier things of the law. And at that point, a lawyer chimed up in and said, wait a minute. When you talk down to them, you're talking down to us. And Jesus said, woe to you, lawyer. You bind great burdens on men's backs and you won't lift one finger. You see, Jesus called these religious leaders sons of snakes, whitewashed tombs, dead men's bones, liars, murderers, blind men, sons of hell. And he said to the people, and they are making you to be just like they are. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That was Tuesday. On Wednesday, Judas went into the palace of Caiaphas He sat down with the leaders of the nation. He said, look, you need him at a time when he is alone, right? I'm your guy. I can provide it for you, but it's going to cost you 30 pieces of silver in advance. Then Judas left, Matthew and Luke tell us, looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Thursday was the first day of the Passover, and being the 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 guy who who kept the money Judas must have thought well because it's Passover Jesus is going to send me to go and make preparations because I got all the the money and so I'll go I'll figure out where we're going to be I'll go tell the the religious leaders they can be there When we arrive, they can arrest him and take him. It'll all be over before dinner. I'll be richer and no one will be the wiser. But friends, it's tough to set up an omniscient being. So Jesus threw him a curve. In Luke 22, verse 8, it says, Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. You see, Jesus took the the job that assumedly would have been Judas's, and he gave it to Peter and John. So when they asked in verse 9, where do you want us to prepare for it, I can imagine Judas kind of leaning in and trying to eavesdrop and hear so that he could get the info of where it's going to be, so he could go tell the religious leaders. But then Jesus said this, verse 10, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all finished. Make preparations there. I'm sure Judas was saying, what do I do with that? Now, we know from the book of Acts who these people were. They were the parents of John Mark, who is the author of the Gospel of Mark. You see, the miracle here was not that there was an upper room all set up for them. Jesus had already arranged for that. The miracle was knowing who would be walking where with what. So sovereignly, Jesus sent Peter and John into the city They're probably thinking, how are we going to find this guy when all of a sudden John Mark's dad just goes walking in front? And they follow him, and sure enough, there's the upper room all set up waiting for them. Judas had a setback. He had just lost several hours, and had he not lost them, we would not have John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 the upper room discourse where Jesus gave the most marvelous piece of teaching to his disciples about the coming of the kingdom and about the coming of the Holy Spirit and about how they were to to navigate life without him. But what's more, he demonstrated love. He demonstrated servanthood. He demonstrated what life in the kingdom was all about by washing their feet And then he turned to Judas and he said, what you have to do, get it done. Judas excused himself, and I'm sure the other disciples thought he was going to get more food or run an errand for Jesus. But he went to get the soldiers. After the meal, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And when he was finished praying, probably around midnight, John 18.3 tells us, Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now, you may wonder why a whole detachment of soldiers would come to arrest one guy. Well, don't forget, Jesus had a reputation of speaking to nature and it obeying him. So these guys were not going to take any chances. Jesus said in verse 4, Who is it that you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, to which Jesus responded with the divine name. He said, literally, I am. At which point, these creatures involuntarily backed up and fell down before their creator. Now, just as it's impossible to set up an omniscient being... It is equally impossible to overpower an omnipotent being. And had Jesus willed it, as he told Peter, he could have called down 12 legions of angels, which would have been about 72,000 of them. But Jesus' time had come. So at about 1 a.m. on Friday morning, Jesus was arrested and taken to the house of Annas to be tried. Just as you can't set up an omniscient being and just as you can't overpower an omnipotent being, you also cannot righteously convict a holy being. And so these guys had one option. Liars would have to be hired. And so that's what they did. But there's a problem when you deal with liars... (laughs) They can't get their story straight, and that's what happened on this night. These guys could not agree on their testimony, and it looked like the Jewish leaders were going to have to turn Jesus loose. But Caiaphas, the head of the Sanhedrin, thought, "I might lose the set, but I'm not. I'm, I might lose the set, but I'm not going to lose the match." And so he played his trump card. He stood up and he asked Jesus, point blank, under oath by the living God, which means if you lie, you die. He said, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God? At which point Jesus broke his silence and he said, I am. And you're going to see me sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of glory, which is a direct claim from the messianic prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. Jesus was saying, you may think you have me now, but my day's going to come when you're going to see the reality of my rule and my glory. At that, Caiaphas tore his robe and he said, what further need do we have for testimony? You heard the blasphemy. Matthew and Mark tell us that everyone around then condemned him to death and they began to spit on him and beat him. These religious leaders who had been outdone by a a carpenter from Nazareth poured out three years of venom on him, and they put him in Caiaphas's dungeon. About three hours later at 5 a.m., they had a kangaroo court, asked Jesus the same questions with the same result, and so they took Jesus to Pilate, the head of the Roman judicial system in the region. But there was another problem that they had to overcome. See, the nation of Israel did not have the authority to kill Jesus. Only Rome could do that. But the charge of blasphemy held very little sway in Rome because in Rome they didn't kill you because you said you were a god. In Rome... They had more gods than they had people. And so saying that you were divine was not that big a deal to them. So what they did on the way to Pilate was they changed the charge from blasphemy to sedition. Which was the charge that he was going to try to overthrow the government. By now it was 6 a.m. Pilate was bleary-eyed, but that didn't keep him from seeing exactly what was going on. They wanted him to be an executioner, not a judge. They were trying to get him to rubber stamp a a crucifixion. He said, there is no guilt in this man. Take him and try him according to your law. The Jewish leader said, but he stirs up the people all the way to Galilee. Pilate thought, Galilee? (laughs) well, you're in luck. Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, just happens to be in town for the feast. Take him, take this man to him. And so they took Jesus down the road to Herod, but Herod didn't want anything to do with him. And so Herod just mocked him and said, take him back. It seemed that No one was willing to accept responsibility for killing Jesus, yet everyone wanted to get rid of him. It was now about 7 a.m. on Friday morning, and Pilate had this albatross turn up again. His wife came to him and warned him not to have anything to do with Jesus because she'd had nightmares about him. So Pilate tried a new tack to try to get rid of him. He paraded Jesus in front of the crowd and said, you have this custom on Passover that I release one prisoner to you. So who would you rather have, Jesus, who's done nothing, or this man Barabbas, who is a, uh, a convicted insurrectionist and murderer? And because the religious leaders had worked the crowd, the crowd yelled back, give us Barabbas. Well, Pilate was still not comfortable with the situation, so he tried one last thing to show that Jesus was no threat to Rome. He took Jesus in the back of the praetorium, and they played a game called the game of the king, where they bound his hands, and they surrounded him with soldiers, and they beat him senseless. Then they stripped him and bent him over an oak beam and they tied his hands down and and they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him. They tore the skin off his back. And they put a robe on him, and they crammed hounds to thorns into his brow. They put a reed into his hand as a scepter, and then they marched him out in front of the people, and Pilate said, Ede ho anthropos, behold the man. They said, Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. We take Caesar and we take Barabbas, but don't give us this man. Pilate said, but what evil has he done? And he pronounced an official edict over him. I find no guilt in this man. They said, if you free him, you are no phileo caesar. You are no friend of Caesar. And that hit him right where it counted because that is an official title that no politician can afford to lose. Because if you lose the title of friend of Caesar, you lose your career. So now Pilate was faced with the age-old conflict of doing what is right or doing what is expedient. What is right in the sight of God or what is right for his career, and it was no contest to a pagan judge. So he took a pitcher of water, he poured it over his hands, and he said, I wash my hands of this man. His guilt is upon you, and you can do with him as you wish. And the people said, may his blood be on us and on our children. Again, they didn't know what they were saying. So Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And by 9 a.m. before Jerusalem had had their oatmeal, Jesus was on the cross. And that's where we're going to end the story this morning. On Friday night, we will come together to experience his final hours. But I want to end with this. Jesus went through all that he went through because he loves you. You are loved by God. No matter what you've done, no matter the life you've lived, Jesus' death covers it all. As Paul told the Romans, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul also said, if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Friends, on this Palm Sunday, I would like for you, I'd like to offer you the greatest gift that has ever been given. That someone who lived the holy life that we could not live has died for us. But what's more, as we will celebrate next Sunday, he is risen and he sits at the right hand of a holy God in our place. And if you will simply trust in him and his death on the cross and believe in your heart that God did indeed raise him from the dead, you will be saved. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God. You become a child of the King. And the Holy Spirit then empowers you, enables you to experience life in his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you today. We celebrate your triumphal entry with full knowledge that the week that followed was a week of hell for you, literally. We celebrate this morning knowing that there is an even greater celebration to come. But Lord, let us never forget what you went through to get from this Sunday to next. And let us never forget, Lord, that you did that for us. That you did that for me. That you did that, that I might have, that I might be in eternal relationship with you. Lord God, I pray that while I would assume that most of us this morning have heard this story and, and believed in this story and, and, and have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here that maybe they've heard it before, but it's never resonated. I pray that by your Holy Spirit today, it might... they might recognize it as true and that they would put their faith in you as we have done through the our series in Romans I'm going to I'm going to pray a prayer and again these words aren't magic but they just kind of they reflect a heart of repentance, and so I'm going to pray a prayer as just suggestion to you, and you can pray this in the quiet of your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and today I accept the truth that You went to the cross for my sin, and today I proclaim You as Lord. Today, I recognize that you were raised from the dead for me. Today, I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you.